0: Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Morning, church. Actually, it's a little bit afternoon. It's a red-letter day. I've been waiting to do this since the first Sunday in January 2010. I've been waiting to say to you, would you please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Hallelujah. Glory to God. For those of you that don't have the inside scoop there, I don't want you to be left out. Let me just give you the background there. 2010, January I began preaching through the book of Romans, and that's where we've been for five, almost five years, about 60% of the Sundays since then. We've been in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, going verse by verse uh, through this book, and it is weighty and deep. It's powerful and incredible, and some of it is beyond the abilities of our mind's reach and some of it is difficult and hard to grapple with and here and the chapters 9, 10, and 11 are the deepest, hardest part of that and we made it. And there's still some people at the church, praise God. Romans chapter 12. I'm just kidding, I love Romans, I love it. I believe it is the greatest letter ever penned, and my life has been, I hope yours as well as you've been here, but my life has been so deeply enriched in the last five years because of this letter. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to open up the 12th chapter. I'm going to begin by reading the first two verses, and let me remind you, the back of the sanctuary there behind each section of chairs, there's some tables with some Bibles on them that we've provided. We really want you to be able to look into the Bible as we preach, whether I'm preaching or someone else here. And so what we're doing here is we'll throw the references up on the screen with the page number that corresponds to the Bibles that are in the back. If you need one of those, you can go get one. If you don't own a Bible, take one of those with you and keep it. It's yours. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. and acceptable, and perfect. What I want to do as we begin is I want to draw your attention to and dig into one word for a little while here, and that's the word, therefore. What Paul is doing in the 12th chapter of Romans is he's coming to an incredible transition in the letter. There's a lot of transition statements in the letter as Paul has moved through incredible truths, but really, if you took the book of Romans, you can divide it into two groups, and they are Romans chapters 1 through 11, and that's the doctrinal section, that's the deep, weighty truth of doctrine, and chapters 12 through 16, they are the practical application Section, So, first 11 chapters is the truth based upon the mercies of God, what God has done, chapters 12 through 16, is how must we then live based upon that truth. And so what Paul does as he prepares to enter in to the section on life application is he drops this word therefore and says brothers i'm appealing to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god that you do something not going to look yet right now at what it is that he's asking us to do. I just want you to feel the weight of the word, therefore. He says, based upon the mercies of God, there is a response that needs to happen in the life of the Christian. There is something that must be done. And what must be done is that we must build our lives on the mercies of God. I just want to say it like that. I believe what Paul is calling us to here is to build our lives on the mercies of God. That by this word, therefore, what He is saying is that everything that He's going to teach us from Romans chapter 12 to the end of chapter 16 is based upon everything that He's said to us in Romans chapters 1 to 11. Let me say that one other way. That there is no way that you can live a life that is pleasing to God. That's what he's calling for here, right? In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you need to understand what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Why? Because he wants to you live a life that is pleasing to God, that is according to the will of God. But the point is, you can't do that without the truth of Romans 1 through 11 being your truth. Because it's that truth and only that truth, therefore, that sets your life up to live out the practical application of Romans chapters 12 through 16. It is an imperative statement. It's really a worldview statement. It's not just saying, I want you to think a little bit about the mercies of God and have it kind of motivate you to run for a few minutes today in praise and worship to God and do a few things, maybe read a little bit of your Bible today because, wow, you heard about the mercies of God this morning. No, Paul is talking here about a lifestyle, living a life of worship, the end of verse one. He's talking about a life that is fully sacrificed to God. We'll unpack that later, probably next week. But the point is, it's a comprehensive statement. And so what he says is, I'm going to set before you a life that is to be a holistic, comprehensive life based upon the mercies of God. Everything that I'm going to call you to in the next five chapters is to flow out of The mercies of God that are in you and that you are overcome by and in awe of. So let me just ask a question and give a few answers to it. Why should you build your life on the mercies of God? What Paul is not doing here, nor does any writer of Scripture do, we are not being taught here that Christianity is a life based upon a set of teachings. I just want you to think about that for a minute. It's a critical truth. Christianity is not a religion that is based upon a set of teachings that we have to follow to meet the requirement of what God desires for us in life. Now said, said, wait a minute, Brad. You were just telling us a minute ago that you want us to be people of this book. You want us to study this. You want us to have it open while we're preaching. I do. I want you to... Check everything that we say based upon this because this is the authority. But Christianity is not based upon a set of teachings. Christianity is based upon a historical reality, a set of facts, a series of events that happened in a period of time in the life of a real man who lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine and did some very specific things and accomplished a very specific work that makes Christianity what it is. It's not a set of teachings. Do you know that the other, this is what separates Christianity from the other religions of the world. The other religions of the world are teachings on what we do to make ourselves right with God. Christianity is what God has done in a period of history through a specific man to make us right with God. That is radically, unequivocally different than every other religion in the world. Christianity is not about a teaching. It's about the teacher. Christianity is about the one who gives you life. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, page 954, if you're using the church Bibles there. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth here. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You see, the very essence of Christianity, the substance of it is this, church. It is a correct knowledge of God. It is about the truth of God as it has been revealed in the life, the death, the resurrection, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verse 3. Turn there, please, in your Bibles. This is what Jesus said about Christianity, about eternal life. Page 903, Jesus said this. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's not the teaching, it's the teacher. It's not how to live your life, it's about the one who gives you life. Jesus said this, No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't come to God by obeying a bunch of do's and don'ts, a list of commands, and checking them off. That's not what Christianity is. It's about a real person in history that did something very specific to make it possible for you as a sinner to come into a personal relationship with the holy God of the universe. So here's the... First answer to the question, why should you build your life on the mercies of God? Here's why. Because salvation depends upon the mercies of God. Your salvation depends upon the mercies of God that were accomplished and provided for you in the person of Jesus. That's the only way you have any hope of salvation. If you do anything to try to merit yourself before God... You don't understand your own sin or the holiness of God. It takes Jesus and His death and His resurrection to make you right with God. Romans 9.16 A few chapters earlier Paul wrote this regarding salvation so that it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy. See, church, listen. It is only when you see the all-surpassing greatness of the mercies of God that have been made possible for you through the person of Jesus, you as a rebel and as a sinner, and you see that Jesus is the living embodiment of the mercies of God to take care of what separates you from God so that you run to God in His mercy because of what Jesus has done and you throw yourself on that mercy and you rest upon that work and that work alone. Only then, only then is it possible for you and me to do what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and everything that he's going to talk about in the chapters that follow. The life has to be built on the truth of what has come in the first 11 chapters. And what Paul does is he looks over those 11 chapters. It's interesting. He talked about a lot of stuff in those 11 chapters. He talked about the wrath of God in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 3, he began to talk about the person of Jesus and what he did and how he satisfied the wrath of God through his death and how then faith in chapters 4 and 5, how faith in Jesus is what brings the saving work of Jesus to you. And then chapter 6 and 7, He's talking about how the Spirit of God comes to live in our lives so that we can live it in a way that pleases Him. And chapters 9, 10, and 11, he goes into the depth of the election and predestination, the sovereign work of God in saving everyone that is saved. And he comes to the end and he says, now you have to live a certain way. And it's all based upon, and he uses three words to describe 11 chapters, the mercies of God. The mercies of God. Build your life on the truth of the mercies of God. Because salvation depends upon God's mercy. Number two, why should you build your life on the mercies of God? Because the purpose of your life as a Christian is to glorify God for His mercy in Jesus. Let me say that again. God's purpose for you, one of the ways to say that is this. God's purpose for you as a follower of Jesus is that your life would be a life that glorifies God for the mercy that he's offered in Jesus. I don't mean as a little caveat to your life. I mean as the grand purpose of your life. Therefore, live a life that is a life of Living sacrifice, a life of worship. And how do you do that? You base it upon the mercies of God. It's an all-encompassing statement that Paul is making here. Listen to Romans chapter 9, verse 23. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. Page 945. Paul here is writing about what God has done, He says in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. That God did what He did through Jesus and He's working in the world for this purpose so that those that he is going to lavish his mercy upon, would come to see how rich his mercy really is. And then Romans fifteen eight and 9. Paul writes, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Jesus came so that what could happen there, Paul says, is that the Gentiles, that's you and me, if you've received Christ as your Savior, we are Christian Gentiles, that the reason that Christ came to save you is so that you would glorify God for His mercy. That's a comprehensive statement of God's purpose for your life. Your life is to be a life that has as its goal to make much of the glory of God and His mercy given to you in Jesus. And so Paul says, Therefore, Everything that I'm going to tell you to do in the next five chapters is based upon everything that I've told you about God and what He's done in Jesus in the first 11. It's a worldview statement. It's about how you view God and how you view yourself and how you view your place in this world and everything in this world. It's a comprehensive statement, a life built upon the mercies of God. Third answer to the question, why build your life upon the mercies of God? Listen, because a life built on the mercies of God flows with His mercy. Meaning, it's a life that relishes in that truth, but it's a life that dispenses that mercy. It's a life that lives out mercy. And here's what happens. In the 12th chapter of Romans, right after he starts with this great, encompassing, transition statement about building your life on the mercies of God, then Romans 12 is all about living a life of mercy. Listen, verse 6, it's all on page 948, in your Bible's there. Verse 6, the one who does acts of mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Listen to the mercy here. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. 14, bless those who persecute you. 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 16, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 17, repay no one evil for evil. 19, never avenge yourselves. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. What stands out in all of those verses coming out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1? It's this. It's that a life that is saturated and built upon the mercies of God is a life that flows with the mercies of God toward other people by doing all of the things that he has said there in Romans chapter 12 that we just looked at. Now we're going to spend time in the months to come unpacking that, looking at it in detail. But before we do that, I want to take you to the second section of the message and ask and answer this question. First question was, why should we build our lives on the mercies of God? Second question is this, how to build your life on the mercies of God? When I use the word how, I'm meaning the grand principle behind it. Not the details, we'll look at those in the future, but the overarching truth about how to live our lives based upon the mercies of God. And what Paul does in verse 1 is he gives us the key. And I want to point it out for you. I'm going to read verse 1 again, and then I'll identify and highlight the word that gives us the key. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word that I want to highlight comes after the word mercy, comes right at the very end of the verse, and it's the word worship. But it's what makes mercy work. Worship is what makes mercy work. In fact, if we were to understand the principle here in chronological order, it's like this, that our life is to be a life Because of who God is, our life is to be a life that is lived as a life of worship. God deserves that. He deserves that simply for who He is, but also based upon what He's done for us in Jesus, every thought, every moment God is really deserving of us living a life of worship. And then what Paul is saying here is, and the kind of life that is lived in worship is a life based upon God's mercy. What it means to live in worship generally speaking, is a life that is based upon the mercy of God. That's the kind of life that's going to be spiritual worship. Worship is the centerpiece. Worship is the cornerstone that anchors the foundation of mercy. I'm going to say this a few different ways. It is our worship to God that makes our mercy work. Worship comes first. Mercy follows. I'm talking about not the mercy of God apprehending us, but us living out mercy toward other people. First, we have to understand who God is and be caught up into the worship of God. And then and only then can we live a life that is characterized by the mercies of God. Worship to God is what makes mercy work toward others. You say that another way. Only those who have seen by the enablement of the Spirit of God the truth of Romans 1 through 11... The truth of what God has done in Jesus and who we are without Jesus, our hopeless condemnation and the mighty work of salvation that God sovereignly accomplished and then His work of calling us to Himself in, through the Spirit into Christ for salvation. Only when that has become our reality can we possibly live out Romans 12 through 16. If you don't understand, I don't mean you have to understand every truth in there, but the overarching truth of the mercies of God found in Jesus, that's the only way you're going to live a life of worship that expresses itself in mercy toward other people. That is the only way. There's two sides to this. Let me state each one and then I'll give you the illustration. The first side is this. We perform acts of mercy toward other people. If we're followers of Christ, this is how we should do it, because we are worshiping God. Does that make sense? I mean, everything we do is to be an act of worship to God. Ultimately, God enabling us to be a reflection of His love and grace, mercy to other people. We ultimately are doing what we do because we love God and God loves people and therefore God's love for people takes over in us so that we love people and we act in mercy toward them. You see, it's all about the worship of God. That's why we do Acts of worship or maybe I could say it this way that's the acts of mercy that God accepts that are done as acts of worship to Him. But here's the second side. Those that we are being merciful to when we do those acts I'm convinced what Paul is establishing is that What we're to be doing in the acts of mercy is to be helping them come to discover the mercies of God and become worshipers of God in view of the great thing He's done for them in Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. I think that will tie that together and make it crystal clear. Let's say that you have some medical training And you are on an overseas trip, and you have maybe let's say you're an EMT and you've got your medical bag there, and you come across a person that has been injured, there's a deep long cut in this person's leg. And as you begin to examine it, it becomes obvious. Very quickly, this is not a new wound. This is a wound that's a week old that hasn't been taken care of and it has become severely infected. And it is swollen and there is an incredible fever and an intense amount of pain in this individual. And you know, based upon your training, that this individual is Absolutely, if something is not immediately done, is going to lose his life. And so here's what you have in your bag. You have dressing to care for the wound. Clean it, wrap it. Number two, you have some very strong pain medication, both topical and internal medication, to take care of the intense pain that that deeply infected injury is causing that individual. And then number three, you have a series of antibiotics, very strong antibiotics that will take care of the infection and kill it and you know that without that, this individual is dead. So here's the question If you administer care to that individual and you dress the wound and you put the topical pain medication on and give them some pills to make them comfortable and handle the pain, and you do not give them the antibiotics to take care of the systemic problem that is going to take their life, I ask you, is that an act of mercy on your part? Now, we could say, well, in certain, maybe a minimal aspect, you'd, you help them to feel comfortable and pass the time Without so much pain, I could say, yeah, that's an element of human mercy, but that's not a life based upon the mercies of God. That's not a life based upon the mercies of God. Because what the mercies of God will do is they go to the systemic problem. They go to the great need that has the great threat of the wrath of God and eternal damnation and they are the cure to that incredible eternal destiny. Far worse than the individual with the cut in their leg and as a believer we have the spiritual antibiotics to take care of the systemic problem that will resolve absolutely every single time in an eternal damnation in suffering in hell. And the mercies of God that have transformed us and taken care of our systemic problem, we've got them in our bag, and God wants us to live a life based upon the mercies of God so that as we come alongside of people that are In difficult situations, we not only care for their physical temporary needs, but we give them the answer to the great systemic problem of sin so that the wrath of God is no longer their destiny. Does that make sense? That's what God wants us to do by basing our life upon the mercies of God. It's not enough to make somebody feel comfortable on the way to hell. That's not a life lived based upon the mercies of God. When you have been captivated, transformed by God's mercy, saturated with His mercy, therefore, Paul says, this then is how you must live. And he begins to develop this lifestyle of what it means to live out the mercies of God. And there's so many application points to many things that I've said. Lord, help me to know what to say here. Think about you as a parent. Do you, in your parenting, I think we all have this tendency, I certainly know, I just, both my hands up, guilty as charged. That in my parenting, I, I believe that my wife and I worked through this, not that we're perfect, but I know it certainly was fault of mine early on that I wanted my kids to do what I told them to do because I told them to do it. Right? Oh, come on, I'm not the only parent in here. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Hallelujah. One comrade. Just because I said so, Right? is that the way we're to teach our kids how to live how about this to teach them that there is an objective set of truth, a reality about the Christian life that's based upon an objective set of truths that really happened in history, in a person, a series of events that makes all the difference for all of eternity, unchangeable events finished, completed events that guarantee some truths about God and God's blessings. Even when we can't see them, can't feel them, seems like everything else is going the wrong way, we go to those truths because they are grounded, objective points of reality That our life has been built upon. That's building your life on the mercies of God. And your children need to know that. They need to know the truths like that to build their life on. Truths from Romans 1 to 11. Why? Because there are going to be many days when they don't see that truth. They don't feel the truth when the world is hammering at them and trying to kick them down and knock them out and throwing everything that it can at them. And if they're saying, oh, what's that set of teaching, those rules that I have to do in order to make it, or those commands that I have to obey, if that's what we're giving them, then That's empty teaching. It's gotta be about a real set of events around a real person that accomplished some very specific things that God had said for thousands of years he was going to come and accomplish it. That that man said I'm going to do this while I'm here and the proof is this I'm going to die a brutal death and three days later I'm coming out of the grave and my victory is going to be the victory of everyone who puts their faith in me so that when they put their trust in me, here's what they get. They get my righteousness. Did you get that? They get my righteousness, Jesus says. The Bible says in Romans, but now the righteousness of God has been made known, Romans chapter 3. What takes care of the wrath of God is the righteousness of God you know who you need to be saved from? God. That's what Christianity is. You need to be saved from God. You're a sinner. Your sin brings you under His condemnation and wrath. And what had to happen is somebody had to be big enough and great enough to save you from the person of God Himself. I ask you, who is big enough and great enough to save you from God. It's God. That's it. Only God can save you from God. And so the truth that your children need to understand is that Jesus is God and he did what he had to do to save them from God. He is God that came to save them from God. That's the truth, the objective historical reality of truth that their life must be built upon. There is a set of truths that ground the Christian faith because what the culture is telling them, pick the truth that you want to pick. Just so long as it's sincere truth in your heart, you choose what you want to have. Is that ever going to work before the holy God? Oh God, I picked the way that I need to get to you. And God's saying, wait a minute, I I didn't get the memo. I I said it had to be this way. Why did you have the right to usurp my sovereign moral decree? Point is, you don't. It's one way. Your children need to understand that this is what happens. Listen, this is so critical. There's an imputation. Now, I'm not saying they better be able to say that word. I can hardly say the word. But there is a righteousness, a divine righteousness that is imputed to them. Here's what that means. It's really critical that you understand this. The righteousness that saves us is not something that God works into us, right? Comes and cooperates with us through the Spirit to make us righteous so that we can be acceptable to God. That is not the righteousness that saves. Here's the righteousness that saves. Jesus, the co-equal co-eternal, co-substantial, second member of the Trinity, His righteousness taken and given to you, imputed as your very own so that you stand before God. And God, I know this is so bizarre. I've said it 10,000 times and I could hardly get through it. When I say it, it's so ridiculously unbelievable. But I stand before God, a wretched sinner deserving every bit of his wrath. And God looks at me and he says, I'm as perfect as his eternal holy son. That's what he says. He declares that Over my life in justification. That's what justification is. It's the declaration of God that I am righteous just like Jesus is righteous. Can the Father condemn His perfect, holy Son? Ever again, having once condemned him for my sin, can he now in the future condemn him again? No, he can't. Neither will he ever condemn you. Why? Because the imputed righteousness of Jesus has become yours. And let me tell you, that's what your kids need to understand. That's what you need to understand. That's what the people that you are ministering acts of mercy to need to understand that truth is the truth of Romans 1 to 11 that makes all the lifestyle of Romans 12 to 16 possible because whatever the enemy throws at you and he throws some bad stuff if you are if your mind is guarded with that truth and your heart is shielded with that truth, That's the shield of faith that extinguishes all of the fiery darts of the enemy that come against your life because that truth is this. It's all based upon what God has started and completed and will forever keep secure, not upon what you are doing. Do you need to do some stuff? Absolutely. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. You need to present your body as a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. But the only reason you can do those is because of the truth of the imputed righteousness of Jesus on your behalf. And that is the truth that is going to guard the hearts of your children and the heart of you and the hearts of those that you are ministering to Through the dangers and the traps and the attacks of the enemy in this world, they've got to understand the objective historical truth based in the person of Jesus Christ who really lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago and did some very specific things to make that truth your truth. And Paul says, therefore, based upon the mercies of God through Jesus now I'm going to begin to teach you how you are to live. So when you are saturated with the mercies of God and Jesus, your life is to be a life that is lived in worship, making much of the glory of God because of the mercies that are yours in Jesus. And then you're to get to be rivers of mercy. You're to go help people in need, meet people where they're at. And as you minister mercy, you're to help them discover the mercies of God unto salvation. You're to give them that antidote to the systemic problem of sin. That's really, don't just make them comfortable on the way to hell by giving them some cold water and dressing a wound. Help the infection of sin be cleansed by the atoning truth of Jesus Christ. That's a life of worship. Well, that's half of verse 1. We'll get the other half next Sunday. Would you please stand? Father, Lord, I I just offer words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart back to you. Do what you choose to do thank you that you're the sower of the seed holy spirit thank you that you minister to exalt and glorify the person of jesus christ and i trust that that truth has a has done that today and i'm asking you to sow that seed of truth deeply into the hearts of those that are here to those that are followers of jesus oh let the mercies of god in jesus be so overwhelming they would in new powerful ways live lives that magnify your glory for that God those that are here that do not know you that are not saved I'm asking you to do what only you can do I can't do it my words can't do it but your spirit can do it can bring life where there's death can bring a heart of Love for God where there's rebellion can bring faith where there's doubt. Holy Spirit, call them, show them the excellencies of Jesus and call them effectively to saving faith in Christ, I pray. It's in His name, God, for Your glory that I pray. Amen.